Shalom. This is Gary Durashinsky, Congregational Leader of Beth Ariel Messianic Congregation. Thank you for downloading our message. We're delighted to make it available to you through the generous donations of our members and friends at Beth Ariel. We know that many are struggling financially because of the challenges facing our economy, and we do not want financial issues to keep anyone from enjoying our teachings. So please continue to listen in as often as you like. But if our presentations have been beneficial to you, and you are able to provide a financial donation to Beth Ariel, whether large or small, would you prayerfully consider sending a gift in support of our ministry? You can donate online through our website at BethAriel.org. That is spelled B-E-T-H-A-R-I-E-L.org. Also, please remember to pray for us that we would be responsive to the Lord's guidance as we reach out to the lost sheep of the House of Israel in the greater Los Angeles area. Thank you, and I hope you enjoyed this message. But for today, we want to look at the fruit of the Spirit or that aspect of the fruit of the Spirit, gentleness. You have in your brochures a little outline. You can fill in the blanks or you can just sit back and enjoy what God's Word has to share with us. But first of all, the fruit of the Spirit is in reality the manifestation of the Spirit of God Himself. The fruit of the Spirit are characterizations of the Holy Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit are aspects of his character. They are what we might call his attributes uh, or some of his attributes. And the significance of the fruit of the Spirit, as Paul writes about in Galatians, is that the very presence of the Spirit of God, his very character, can be manifested in and through us. That's what God is desirous of. He's desirous of not only bringing us to a point where we recognize what Yeshua has done for us in providing salvation and atonement and forgiveness of sin and mercy and grace and all of that, but that as a result of experiencing that, he then wants to transform us. He wants to conform us into his own image. What does the image of Messiah look like? Well, the nine fruit of the Spirit, these nine aspects are descriptions of what the Spirit of God looks like and what He wants us to look like. So in this respect, the fruit of the Spirit is the very foundation of spiritual maturity, spiritual growth, not just spiritual knowledge, not just wisdom and intellect, but rather transformation of character. That's what spiritual maturity is all about. That's why I said last week, being is more important than doing. We can pride ourselves in how often we pray, We can pride ourselves in how often we read the Word. We can pride ourselves in how much we know of the Word. None of those things are in and of themselves a mark of spiritual maturity. What is a mark of spiritual maturity is the impact that the truth of God's Word and the very presence of the Holy Spirit has in our attitudes, in our actions, in our behavior, in our values, in our character. The fruit of the Spirit are marks. They're foundation pieces. They are the basis of what spiritual maturity is and where God wants to bring us. Indeed, he wants us to understand more, and that's an aspect of, of knowing the Lord that's so dear to my heart. I love searching the Scriptures. I love studying the Word. I love reading what other teachers of God's Word have had to say. None of those things are in and of themselves marks of spiritual maturity or character. What is are the fruit of the Spirit. It's noted that the fruit of the Spirit is singular. It's not fruits 
of the Spirit. This is all by way of, re- of reminder, but there's, it is singular. It's not fruits, but fruit of the Spirit. That is to say, we don't just manifest love, but we manifest love, joy, peace, and etc., and all that's there. We're to manifest the combined nine aspects of the fruit of the Spirit. And these nine aspects can be divided into three parts. And we said that the first part, though we don't want to be dogmatic about this, but nevertheless, the first part seems to be more Godward in nature. Love for God, joy in Him, peace that comes from Him. Love, joy, and peace are more Godward in nature in terms of one of the three relationships we must grow in. But love is to be expressed in other directions as well, for sure. But then there's those that seem to be more focused on the outward direction of things, the outward nature, being tolerant. The word is patient, but the Greek really means to be tolerant of one another, to be kind to one another, to be good toward others. And then there's sort of an inward aspect, something that has to do with us. And that is we're to become more faithful, that is more trustworthy, more dependable, more authentic and people of integrity. We're to become more gentle, especially as we deal with others, and particularly with those that bring us the most grief, is how this term is used. And we're to manifest self-control. Now, the Greek word for uh, gentleness is proutes. It's an interesting word because over the history of the etymology of language, we get the word friend from this word that's translated gentleness. And indeed, that's what friends are, aren't they? They are generally gentle with one another. They're ones that easily tolerate one another. In fact, the word denotes something that is soothing. It was used in ancient Greek to speak of taming wild animals and making them gentle. They don't have to be that wild. You can come to my house. You'll see my two dogs. We've trained them. You know, when you see them, you say, what lovely dogs. Just keep your hands away. But when you say, what lovely dogs, it's because we've tamed them. They didn't come to us that way. They're very unruly, these Cavalier King Charles. Don't let them fool you. They're like little miniature lions. They'll tear you apart. But we tamed them and we made them well. I say that because I was walking the dogs once and somebody came up to me and they said, are they vicious? I said, oh yeah, be very careful of these dogs. Look at those ears. They'll strangle you with them. But in any case, it's used to tame animals and to calm those that are excited or irritable or easily irritated. Ultimately, it means to bring that which is unruly under control. A gentle spirit, a gentle, a person that manifests gentleness is one that is able to sort of corral the untamed uh, expressions that we oftentimes exhibit when we're not so controlled. But in the Septuagint, you know, this is the Greek translation about 200 years before the time of Messiah by a group of rabbis in Alexandria. It's always important for us to see how they understood these Greek terms because they, that has a lot of bearing on how to understand them in the Brit HaDashah and the New Covenant Scriptures. There, the word proutes, translated gentle, is used of servants. It's used of one who has, is in subject, subjection. It's used of one who is humble. It's used of one who subjects himself to God, and I like this expression, quietly and without resistance. 
you know, rather than sort of like Moses. When God called him five times, he told Moses why, or Moses told God why he had the wrong guy. But what God is looking for are those individuals who without resistance and quietly, submissively, and humbly simply submit themselves, surrender themselves to God. Do you find yourself fighting God when his word calls us to do one thing and we make excuses? We fight God like Moses did not to do those things because we just find them unpalatable or non-desirous or whatever. But what God is looking for is a gentle heart that humbly, quietly, and without resistance submits to the Lord. Scott? In Matthew 5, Yeshua says, Blessed are the meek. That's the word proutes. Blessed are the gentle, for they will inherit the earth. What he means is, blessed are those who quietly and without resistance submit themselves to God. That's what Messiah is talking about. Blessed are those who humbly bow before the Lord without any questions asked, without any resistance. But they are ones who humbly surrender themselves to God. They will inherit the earth. Those are the ones that will see the fullness of God's promises and inherit his fullness of blessing. Meekness, however, is not weakness. It's power under control. It's a willing subjection of oneself to God. That is our power, our will. And it is a willingness to submit ourselves to him. Blessed are such individuals. Now, fortunately for you and I, that it is the spirit of God. Remember, this is a fruit of the spirits, an aspect of the spirit's work in our lives who can take the most un or the most resistant and the least surrendered individual and yet enable them to be so surrendered and to be so submissive to God. All of us have a willfulness that is rebellious in nature. God wants to transform that rebelliousness and to empower us to be obedient to him. Blessed are such individuals, for they will see the Lord and they will inherit the earth. A great example of this is Moses. You remember when Moses married, uh, married Zipporah and And then later it speaks of him related to a Cushite woman. And Miriam and Aaron are very upset with him because she is not an Israelite. She's a Cushite. And it may have even had something to do with the color of her skin. Because it's interesting what God does, right? When he brings judgment on Miriam, he turns her leprous white. And so does that have a bearing on it? We don't know, but we know that God oftentimes does such things. But what we do know is that when he was attacked by perhaps his closest associates, his brother and sister, the one who would become the high priest of Israel, the one who was his spokesperson before Pharaoh, the one who had accompanied him on all of his challenges, and Miriam, who had rescued him, you might say, and followed him, maybe not rescued, but followed him when he was put into that wicker basket overlaid with tar and pitch. It was Miriam that instructed Pharaoh's daughter about who this child was, and it was Miriam who was told by Pharaoh's daughter to get the child's mother 
so that she would raise Moses during those early formative years. These were key individuals in Moses' life, in Moses' support, in Moses' ministry, and they attacked him in a very uh, intense manner. And what does the scripture say? When he was so attacked, it said, now Moses was a very humble, that's the Greek word proutes in the Septuagint, gentle man, more gentle than anyone else on the face of the earth. That is to say, he was most submissive to God. Now, it may say more than that because he was a man that oftentimes uh, endured great challenges and great conflict and great arguments against him was, and great complaints that occurred throughout the 40-year wilderness wandering. But we get this description of Moses, that he was the most humble man on the face of the earth. And so we come away saying he really didn't deserve to be treated this way because he was a man that did not even invite such things or uh, necessitated. But Moses is an example of such submissiveness to God. Not all the time, not at first, not sinless, but he was a man who spent his entire life, this is hard for me to believe, but his entire life in the desert. I mean, he was born in Egypt. He then spent, what, 40 years in Egypt. He spent 40 years in the desert in Midian. And then he spent another 40 years bringing the children of Israel, the Jewish people, out of Egypt and through the Sinai Desert. His whole life was lived in enduring the desert and enduring the challenges of both enemies and friends alike. His ministry, his calling was indeed a very challenging one. But that's not the only example. Paul gives us admonitions, and Paul himself is a tremendous example of manifesting the fruit of the Spirit, gentleness. He says in 2 Corinthians, by the meekness and gentleness of Messiah, I appeal to you. He says, I, Paul, who am timid when face to face with you, but bold went away. Well, I don't know how timid he was when he was face to face, but nevertheless, he does say to the Corinthians, he does not want to have to challenge them in terms of their sinfulness and their rebelliousness. He says, listen, I am imploring you by the very gentleness that comes from Messiah, that fruit of the spirit. I'm asking you and I am challenging you to be responsive to the instructions I am giving you. In Galatians, he says, Brothers, if someone is caught in a sin, you who are spiritual, that means to say mature in the faith. Those of you who have grown in the faith of the Lord, restore him, listen to this, gently. It's the same word, with gentleness. We ought to be a people that when we do find someone sinning, now that doesn't mean just having a difference of opinion. It doesn't mean having different tastes a different take on the meaning of a given passage of Scripture or an application of it. It says when you find someone caught, entrapped, sort of lured into that place where he cannot escape, and thus he finds himself having sinned. He says you who seek to restore such a one need to do so, first of all, with gentleness, gently, encouraging a submissive heart and encouraging not being resistant to the work of God. And then he warns that one who would be 
desirous of restoring the individual, but watch yourself because all of us are subjected to temptation and all of us are in need of the fruit of the spirit more and more. And none of us have arrived. In Colossians, he says, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. He says the same thing again. What does that gentleness look like in all those other things? It means that we're able to bear with each other. We're able to endure each other. We don't have to give up on each other because we have our differences or our dislikes or even the sin that's in our lives. We don't have to give up on each other. We can bear with each other and we can forgive whatever grievances we may have against one another. And we are to forgive even as the Lord has forgiven us. That's a mark of gentleness to be able to do that because it necessitates a giving up of something, a willful subjection of ourselves. In Ephesians, he says, be completely humble and completely gentle. And that gentleness is seen in being patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of spirit through the bond of peace. Paul encourages Timothy. Timothy was one who would take on the pastoral responsibilities of the church at Ephesus, the congregation at Ephesus. And he tells Timothy, but this is true of all servants, you and I, whether we have the responsibility of a congregation or not, if we're servants of the Lord, he says, the Lord's servant must not quarrel. Instead, he must be kind to everyone, able to teach, not resentful. Those who oppose him, he must gently instruct. Isn't that challenging? I'm telling you that is challenging. It is challenging. But we are to gently instruct. But notice this, in the hope that God will grant them repentance. See, there's real trouble here. It's not that Timothy or the pastor or the congregational leader has misinterpreted anything. There's a need here. There's a problem. And there's a need for repentance. But he says the way to try to help someone get to that point is to gently instruct. And hopefully that will lead them to repentance, a knowledge of the truth that they'll come to their senses. Isn't that interesting? You know, when we recognize individuals have, have done wrong or are in a problem place in their life, they're out of their senses. They're insane is what he's saying. And we need to help them come back to their senses and to escape the trap of the evil one. You know, that's how significant and important it is to gently instruct so as to bring change because they're in the snare of the evil one. He's taken them captive to do his will. And so if we're going to deliver people from a place of captivity, he says, we need to do this with gentleness. He tells another one of those he entrusted, not just one congregation, but all the congregations on the island of Cyprus. He says, remind the people to be subject to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready to do whatever is good, to slander no one, to be peaceable and considerate, and to show true humility toward all people. Obviously, Paul is telling Titus, and you need to model some of this as well. Peter is a great example. Not only Paul, who came to that place of willful uh, surrender to the Lord, but Peter's a great example. I didn't write all of this out, but in John chapter 21, at the end of the good news account that John provides, he approaches Peter and he tell, asks him three times, do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? And this is a way that 
Yeshua is modeling gentleness in restoring a fallen believer, a fallen child of God, a fallen brother in the Lord. Peter, you remember, denied the Lord three times. So now he's giving Peter an opportunity to affirm his love for the Lord three times. What's really interesting is the first time Yeshua says, do you love me more than these? And Peter in the past might have said, yes, I do love you more than these. Remember, he's the one who had said, if they all deny you, I will never deny you. Remember, it was Peter who, when those came to attack Yeshua, who took out his blade and sought to defend him with all of his strength and with all of his might. Wasn't a great cage fighter, but he wasn't bad. He nailed his ear. But in any case, Peter's response shows that he's grown in his humility, in his gentleness. And he says only to Yeshua, I love you. When he asks him, do you love me more than these? He says, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He's admitting humbly, gently, I don't love you more than these. I love you, hopefully, like these. He's come to his senses, as it were, about his own heart and his own relationship to Yeshua. But it's not only that, his sense of humility and submissiveness is also seen in the words he uses. Because when Yeshua says, do you love me? The first two times he says, do you agapao me? That's the highest form of love in the Greek language, agape love. A self-sacrificial love for another, seeking the benefits of others rather than oneself. That's the kind of love that God exhibits. For God so agape the world that he gave his only begotten son in John 3.16. Here, Yeshua, the first two times he says, do you love me? He says, do you agapao me? And in each case, Peter doesn't say, you know that I ag- agapao you. He doesn't say that, the highest form of love. He says, you know that I phileo you. That's the word for brotherly love. We get the word Philadelphia from that. Adelphos is the Greek word for city. So I lived in the town of Annapolis. Apolis is part of that Greek word, Adelphos, or for city. But here, Adelphos, meaning brother. And so Philadelphia is the place, the city of brotherly love or love of brethren. Peter will say, I phileo you. Again, his humble heart realizes, I better not use the word agapao, agape, because that's the highest form of love. And he's now repenting and he's humbling himself. And so the last time Yeshua says, so do you phileo me? And Peter says, yes, Lord, you know that I phileo you. Even Yeshua exhibits that gentleness. He doesn't keep pressing, no, you have to love me in an agape way. He even comes down. He condescends to where Peter is at, and he says, well, do you truly follow me? And he says, I truly follow you. You know my heart. And that's the love of Messiah has for us. And then Peter will write this in his letter. I think this is so cool. He says, but in your heart, set apart Messiah as Lord 
Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you for the reason, for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect. Peter has come a long way since his time with Messiah. The Spirit of God has taken hold of his life and he's manifesting the fruit of the Spirit. And among them is gentleness. I also love that he says, and with respect. I find that's something that we all need, certainly I need on many occasions, need to exhibit. That when there's difference of opinion, we differ respecting one another and not demeaning each other because of our differences. But of course, our ultimate example is Yeshua. In Isaiah 53, his humility is seen in that he did not open his mouth. Notice in these verses, verse, twice that line is repeated. He was oppressed and inflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter as a sheep before his shears is silent. So he did not open his mouth. This is very much like Moses, right? right? In which he was attacked, but he's the most humble man in all the earth. Here, Yeshua was attacked. He was led like a lamb to be slaughtered, but he was one who went submissively, willfully, and humbly before his enemies. He did not open his mouth. In Zechariah, it says, describes Messiah. It says, rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king comes to you righteous and having salvation. Notice, gentle and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. Our Messiah is described, denoted as being one who would be gentle. When he gives this great invitation, perhaps the greatest invitation in all of Scripture, he says, come to me, all you who are weary. Does that fit anyone here? You know, maybe we're not always weary, but we can look back at a time and say, man, I am so weary. I don't know where I'm going to get my next step from. But if you're not feeling that weary, are you feeling burdened? Are you feeling overloaded with concerns and pressures and trials and challenges? He says, come to me. And look, he will give us shalom. He will give us peace. He'll give us rest. He says, take my yoke upon you. That's a first century expression. We think of an oxen yoke. But in the first century, it meant the teachings of a, of a rabbi. He says, take my teachings upon you. Take the things that I will have you learn about. The things that are true. The truth of God's word. He says, take that upon you. Learn from me. For I am, look at this, gentle and humble in heart. And you will find rest. Second time he said that. You will find rest for your souls. Why? Because my teaching is easy. And my burden is not a burden at all. It's lightness. Those of us who have walked with the Lord, has Messiah been true to his word? Have you not experienced rest when there have been times of incredible burdens? When there's been extreme weariness? We all can say Messiah has given us the truth. We have learned from him. And we have come to realize that he has told us the truth. His teaching is easy. It's involved, it's complicated, but it's not hard. It's easy. And to follow him is easy. And it's not burdensome at all. You know, when I first came to faith, I was so lightened. I was just so enheartened. I was just overjoyed at that moment. I was only 17, but at that moment, there was a sense of 
joy that was unspeakable. I didn't even think of anything being hard. In fact, I was so joyful. I said, I got to tell someone about this because I have found rest. I have found the answer to my issues, my problems, my questions. I have finally found where I've been desirous all my life, even though I didn't know it at the time. And I had to tell someone, and so I told my parents right away. They were not happy. I've shared that story with many of you before. But you know, at first, there was a frightening moment that indeed my parents were telling me, if I still believed like this, I got to find another place to live by next year. At the time, 18. And I was raised in the suburbs. I mean, I wasn't in L.A. where, you know, not a big deal. I went to the beach, you know. It was a scary thing to think, where am I going? What am I going to eat? Where am I going to sleep? But you know, at the time, I wasn't frightened about it. And at the time, as I look back, an eight, 17-year-old kid hearing that, I mean, that had to be devastating. But as I think back at it, the Lord lifted my burden. And I didn't even know it as a burden because it was light. And the Lord was found to follow him, was found to be easy. I really could leave my parents' home. I really could move on in my life. No matter what threats were made about my faith and what people had said in my family or, what other, uh, or otherwise, here I am some, I don't know, 1971 to the present, 40 some odd years later, and the Lord has taken care of me. And it has been a rest for my soul. There have been times of trial, for sure. But there is rest in the Lord. And his yoke is easy. His burden is light. And I think back, and I, don't, I can't even remember the anxieties. that I, I can't, like, grudge them up and try to refeel them. They're just not there. And when I go through problems in present, sometimes I think, why do I allow these things to overburden me when I've come through so many burdens, as we all have, And God's brought us through each one. Come to me, all who are weary weary and burdened. And he'll give us his rest. We just need to come. In Philippians, a long passage, long passage. But your attitude should be the same as Messiah. So as in the interest of time, what ought that attitude be? Being found in appearance as a man, he humbled, he gentilized himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. He willingly submitted himself to the Lord, even to the point of death. And he said in the Garden of Gethsemane, not my will, but your will be done. That's the attitude we're supposed to have. If we follow in Yeshua's example, here are just three final sort of points. First of all, Matthew 26, as Yeshua was arrested, he came to the aid of others, but not himself. And so therefore, as gentle individuals, our gentleness can be seen in that we need not become defensive. We don't have to rise up in self-defense. Yeshua himself did not. Not only that, we don't have to desire to be preeminent. We don't have to be in charge. We don't have to be on top. I love John the Immerser, John the Baptist. His words are so pertinent. He must increase, but I must decrease. 
You know, as more and more disciples were following Yeshua and were leaving John. John didn't get defensive. He didn't think like, wow, what's going on? Nobody likes me anymore. He wasn't thinking, I'm not in control. I'm not in charge. Rather, his attitude was, he must increase and I must decrease. You know, that's the way we all need to be. Who are we having an opportunity to disciple? Some of them may be our own children. Some may be individuals that we might be helping to understand the good news of Messiah. Some might be people who've come to understand. We're trying to help them walk a little further. Who are you discipling? And here's the question. Are you able to say he, she must increase, but I must decrease? This individual is to come to a point of greater growth than even maybe where I am at presently. And greater opportunities and greater time of service. We need not desire to be preeminent. Yeshua himself humbled himself and discarded to, to in some mysterious manner, his, all of his divine prerogatives. That he would take upon himself the fullness of being human so that he might suffer and die. He gave up the preeminence that was rightly his, the glory that belonged to him. You can speak of it as preeminence. That you and I might become somewhat eminent in nature. And then lastly, in Timothy Romans, we don't have to seek to be recognized. We are humble servants doing the will of God as he's called us to do. We should not seek to have to be recognized. When recognized, we should be grateful. Thank you for even thinking about it. But you know what? I'm just doing this before the Lord. And if no one knows, that's okay with me. If we're gentle at heart, we'll be able to do that. If that aspect of the fruit of the Spirit is ours, gentleness, we will be a people like Moses who can entreat others by the meekness and gentleness of Messiah. If we are meek like Peter, we will be ready to repent of our sin and to be cautious to what degree we explain our faith. We will do so respectfully and with gentleness, as Paul tells us. If we exhibit a gentleness, we will be more and more like Messiah. And the more and more we become like Messiah, the more and more humble we ought to become, and the more submissive and obedient to the Lord and in his will. Challenging, no doubt. You know, when you just worry the word gentle, you think, I'm gentle, I'm easy. But there's more to gentleness than that, isn't there? But with God's help, we can be ones that manifest the fruit of the Spirit. And to do less is to fail to become that spiritually mature individual that God wants you and me to become. So let's pray. While I'm praying, the ushers can come forward. Father in heaven, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for such a wonderful time of worship and praise in which your presence was uniquely felt this morning. We thank you for that. We thank you, Father, for your word And we pray, Lord, you would help us to become gentle people. We're easily frustrated. We're easily angered. We're easily become defensive. But, Father, may we be ones who are indeed gentle of heart, humble in demeanor, respectful in our conversation and communication with everyone, that, Father, your spirit would be seen and not our fallen nature. Help us to do this, Lord, because we seek to grow in you and to become mature in you. 
And that necessitates that we become a gentle people as well as a loving and joyful and peaceable people as well. It's also important, Father, that we become kind-hearted and that we become tolerant. And that, Father, we are people that are exhibiting your character in our midst. Thank you for listening to our message. We hope that it serves to encourage you in your walk with the Lord and your service to him. Do remember us in your prayers. And if you are able to provide a financial donation to Beth Ariel, whether large or small, would you prayerfully consider sending a gift in support of our ministry? You can donate online through our website at BethAriel.org. That is spelled B-E-T-H-A-R-I-E-L dot org. Thank you again, and may our Heavenly Father richly bless you as you continue to follow Him. Shalom, shalom.